Hello, and welcome to our service of worship of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I am Megan Lecluse, and along with our liturgist, Dr. Baron Mollis, our director of music, Andrew Sin, and our other musicians, we are glad that you have chosen to join with us in worship today. We invite you to continue to visit the church's websites for our latest updates and more information as it comes out on reopening and what the exact protocol will look like. And now join me in our collective call to worship. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High.
If we say that we have no sin, then the truth is not in us, and we deceive only ourselves. But God, who is merciful and just, has promised to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. With such an assurance, we need never fear confession, only draw near in candor to our God who has made us, who knows us, and who loves us. So let us confess our sin, first in unison and then in silence. Let us pray. Saving God, we confess that our faith is too small, our fear is too great. When we are overwhelmed, we think that you do not care enough for us. When life is uncertain and risky, we are not sure that we can trust you with our whole hearts. Even when you move among us in powerful ways, we question who you are. Forgive us and calm our fears, we pray. Teach us to trust in your power to save and guide us in every circumstance. Grant us your peace, which is clearly beyond our understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear our prayers, O Lord. Amen. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God move, remove our unrighteousness from us. So, beloved in Christ, believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark in the fourth chapter, starting at the 35th verse. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with them. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In the eye of the hurricane, there is quiet. For just a moment, a yellow sky. I wonder if these words from the musical Hamilton might describe how the disciples, looking back, felt about the moments after Jesus calmed the storm. Though I've experienced some pretty significant storms, I've never been in a hurricane. But I've heard people describe being in the eye of a hurricane as an eerie silence, surreal. And you know it's only a pause, 
not an end to the storm. The scripture tells us that the winds ceased and there was a dead calm. And in one sense, this seems true. The physical storm creating tumultuous seas was stilled, and the disciples were able to safely continue on their journey. In this moment, though, the disciples witness a new side of Jesus, one that may actually be more disconcerting than comforting, and find themselves asking, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. And the physical storm is not the only storm in their lives. It may very well represent the internal storm that each of them are experiencing as they participate in the early stages of Jesus's ministry. And if that's the storm that is being stilled, if crossing the sea gives them even a brief rest, well, they are very much in the eye of the hurricane. And this passage is far more complicated than Jesus calming the storms in our lives. Where the disciples are headed as they cross the lake, as they go to the other side, is straight back into the hurricane. They come to shore in an area that isn't Jewish, where they are met by a man who has been chained in a cave because he is possessed by demons. He calls himself Legion, for we are many, is what the demons say. And this man has had the strength to continually break the chains that the people try to use to subdue him, hence why he is out meeting Jesus and the disciples when they pull up to the shore. Jesus makes the demons come out of the man, and then they go into a herd of pigs, and the demons cause the pigs to run off the cliff. Then Jesus and the disciples get run out of town because now the town's livestock have just run off the cliff and died, and the town is not very happy about that. So much for calming the storm. This story is a wild story, and if you're not familiar with it, you can find it at the beginning of Mark 5, immediately following the scripture we read this morning. I imagine after this has all transpired, the disciples are still asking, who is this guy? And the part of this new addition to the story that may have the biggest implications for their lives is that it is now clear between what has just happened and the other boats that were with Jesus, that it, Jesus, Jesus isn't just here for the disciples, isn't just here for the Jewish people, but that his ministry goes beyond that scope, even to the Gentiles as well. In the commentary she wrote for the Presbyterian Outlook, our own Reverend Barbara Chapel calls what the disciples experience as a cosmic storm, a storm actual or metaphoric that upends our sense of security and meaning. She continues, we know about cosmic storms. Who would not compare the world as we know it today with its racism, violence, pandemic illness and death, economic injustice and environmental destruction to a cosmic upheaval that challenges our very lives, the human race, 
and the world as we know it. I could talk more about the storms in the disciples' lives because there was more. And it's also hard to know where to begin to talk about the storms in our own lives because there are a multitude there as well. Having been in a meeting this week that captured much of what I've been feeling recently, I do think it's worth naming that we are still in the storm of this pandemic, even if entering a new part of it. It's been a powerful storm from the start, knocking us off course, it seems. In spring 2020, suddenly everyday places like the grocery store became a place of fear and anxiety because it meant exposure to many people. Someone coughing even across the street was often deemed worthy of suspicion, with the counter being that we felt nervous coughing when we got pollen in our throat or swallowed the wrong way. Every day we were trying to make the safest decisions we could with the information we had at that time. Information that, given the evolving nature of our understanding of the virus, of the science and the medical understanding, was frequently being updated and changed. It was, in many ways, exhausting. And now the transition back to being able to be more in person, to having things that feel more like they were, also can feel quite stormy at times, as our excitement and anxieties go back and forth within us, as we continue to adapt to what is safe after having had to change so many behaviors. A couple weeks ago, I saw a headline about people feeling a sense of whiplash, and that felt pretty on point. It's okay to name that transitioning back has elements that are hard. And as Barbara noted in her commentary, the pandemic is only one of the many storms we are experiencing right now. While Juneteenth was celebrated yesterday, we remember we still have far to go in breaking down racism. And as we prepare for hurricanes and wildfires this summer, we worry for our planet. While many storms in our lives seem out of our control, there are also storms of our own making. The Hamilton lyric I referred to is talking about both a, phys a literal physical hurricane he experienced in his youth and the hurricane he created for himself by having an extramarital affair, which, spoiler alert, he doesn't handle well because of his pride. Other storms may be of our creation and may be storms that need to happen, even if the process creates challenging situations. Change, even positive change, can feel stormy. As we can see in the scripture, Jesus also leads the disciples straight into some storms, like the one that was waiting for them on the shore that they arrived on. So how does Jesus enter into this? And why was Jesus sleeping through the storm? I think there are a number of answers to why he may have been sleeping, including sheer exhaustion. 
Mark moves at such a rapid pace. And Jesus has been traveling and teaching and trying to figure out his relationship with his own biological family. He's been calling his disciples, getting the attention of the powers that be. He's been busy and needs rest. Jesus needing rest is a reminder that we all need rest. That in the midst of life's storms, we have to take time to recharge, to face them. And Jesus trusts in God enough to claim that rest, even while on a boat encountering rough seas. Maybe Jesus' actions, as well as his command to the waves of peace, be still, tells us that sometimes in the midst of the raging winds and waters, we need to pause, to be still. I also wonder if Jesus was sleeping because he hoped that the disciples might be beginning to understand that the power Jesus had and that they had and we have through Jesus combined with their sailing skills equipped them to be able to cross the sea. We often want Jesus or God to just make it all better for us make it go away. When we have been equipped by God to do the work ourselves, equipped with either the tools or skills, or with the people to reach out to who can provide us with the help and the tools and skills that we need. I think that Jesus did believe that the disciples were capable of this, that they had what they needed to weather the storm. And Jesus was present with them the entire time through the physical and the larger metaphorical storms that they encountered. Then there is the power that Jesus reveals in calming the storm. After he does this, he questions the disciples' faith. We, like the disciples, may forget the power that Christ has. Mary Oliver touches on this in her poem, Maybe, when she writes of how when Jesus calmed the storm, he was tender and luminous and demanding, as he always was, a thousand times more frightening than the killer sea. Those lines really struck me. I tend to find myself thinking about Jesus calming the storm as a kind of pastoral scene. But that's not all that accurate, I imagine. Jesus calms the storm, but he doesn't calm the disciples. He leaves them in awe and with a lot of questions about who they climbed into this boat with. The pattern of this story reveals that Mark is not telling just a miracle story, but a story of healing and exorcism. It parallels the story in Mark 1, where Jesus drives an unclean spirit out of a man, using the same words to rebuke the wind and still the seas that it used with how he responded to the spirit. He asks the same questions of the disciples 
and those who witness have the same reaction. What this means, according to the SALT blog, is that first, the story suggests that the world's death-dealing forces aren't limited to afflicted individuals. They are also much larger, interpersonal, communal phenomena, more like enveloping storms than personal maladies. And second, the story suggests that the essence of Jesus's mission is to confront such forces, not with military might, but with a calm, courageous campaign of healing and liberation. They go on to say that the world's death-dealing forces are no match for the life of God. These forces are what God is driving out and healing us from. One detail unique to Mark's telling of this story is that there were other boats with Jesus. This reminds us that Jesus was here for more than just the disciples. But it also reminds us that the disciples and we have companions on our journey. Companions we are beginning to get to see in the flesh and not only on Zoom once again. These companions can help us weather the storms. Life is going to hit us with storms, and sometimes they may be storms we created. But Jesus is present with us in the boat offering us strength, and also inviting us to trust and find rest when we need it. And through it all, Jesus reminds us that God is more powerful than whatever life can throw at us, reminding us that God has the final word, and that's the power of the resurrection. Amen. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. From God's hand we have received freely all that we need. Indeed, we have received more than we need. So let us now freely return our gifts to God.
Let us unite our hearts and our minds in prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, we know that nothing in our lives takes you by surprise. Before a word leaves our lips, you know it. We cannot hide from you, from your judgment or from your mercy. And so we are grateful. We know that you seek us when we are lost. You guide us when we are searching. You watch over us while we rest, and we are grateful. We know that as your people, we have been charged with the duty of bearing one another's burdens, and in so doing, we know the prayers that we make will be heard. So we come once again, praying for the needs of our hearts and the needs of your world. We pray once more more for peace, for those who are in harm's way and in the way of violence, we ask for a measure of your grace. We pray for those entrusted with the care of nations, that they may govern wisely and well. We pray for those oppressed, that they may know comfort and peace. We pray for our own nation, for those left behind by the recovering economy. For those with less than ourselves, we ask your blessing. May we find ample supplies to meet the needs before us. We know well that need does not occur because you have given us too little, but rather need occurs because we retain too much. 
So shake us once more from complacency and goad us to greater commitment to our Christian discipleship that indeed our abundance might be lived out in abundance for others. We pray for those pushed to the margins of society, for those experiencing homelessness, for those experiencing, experiencing mental illness, for those caught in the grips of addiction. We pray for those whose faces we hurry past, lest we ourselves become engaged. For our neighbors before us, make us aware, make us dissatisfied, so that in our lives of Christian discipleship, we may seek to share a measure of your grace. To that end, for the Church Universal and the Presbyterian Church, we ask your blessing that we may indeed be a blessing. For our beloved First Church community, we offer our prayers, asking that you would guide us, uphold us, give us purpose, and give us grace. We pray in our particular community of Philadelphia for all who continue to fight the ongoing pandemic, for all who are victims of violence, both gun violence and other forms of violence. We pray for your peaceful spirit to guide our city. These and all of our prayers we make in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
our lives are going to be filled with storms. And Jesus invites us to remember that Jesus is there with us on the boat, inviting us to find moments of rest and to know that Jesus will lead us through the storms, giving us what we need to get through them. So go with the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. May they be with you and abide with you this day and always. Amen.